Good morning, everyone. Uh, so glad that you're here, Tyler, and your band. So glad that y'all are here and leading worship today. Um, open up to Romans chapter 6. We are concluding our uh, series on water in the Bible. Um, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. For if we have been unified with him in his death, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Our Lord and our God, I thank you for these words, these very rich words, um, words that may be difficult to get our minds and our hearts fully around this morning. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to open up the eyes of our hearts. Open up our spiritual eyes so that we can see, so that we can hear, so that we can receive the gift that you have for us this morning through your word. In Christ's name, amen. So we're talking about water and its symbolism in the Bible, and today we are talking about baptism. Baptism is one of the two sacraments that God has given us Christians, which are visible, tangible actions that incorporate our senses, that appeal to our senses. Um, And they are signs of very deep and important spiritual truths. I think that's why God gives us baptism, because there's some very deep spiritual truths that he wants us to learn and know and have in our hearts. But some of those truths are, they're just difficult to to get our mind around. And so God says, I want to I 
use your full body, your, your, all of your senses to, to help teach these truths to you. Now, think about baptism. Uh, it's, it's kind of an unusual thing to do. And it is true that, that people do weird things in life. You've seen people do weird things. You've done weird things. And if, you know, if you were an alien coming into a worship service, seeing some baptisms going on, you might think that's a little weird, right? Um, whether it be pouring water on someone's head during a worship service, what, why? Or even immersing and bringing up out of the water, dunking someone, um, why? You know, we're used to getting dunked in water on a hot day in a swimming pool with you and your, your friends dunking one another. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in a, in a worship service. So I want to look at the meaning of water and baptism today so it doesn't seem as weird. And we are having Baptism Sunday next Sunday. And it, it may be that you're going to be baptized next Sunday. And we are all going to be blessed by that. And let's just think through a few of the things that baptism points to or is a sign of to us. So I want to start off with this first point. Baptism is a sign of our new life in Christ. So just think of that image of, of being immersed in water in a baptism and, and being brought up out of the water in your you're, um, you're rising up, and it's, it's a sign of a new life in Christ. And we talked earlier this month about the waters of creation, how in Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, the primordial waters, and, and God brings about purpose and order out of the chaos through the waters. And not too many chapters later in Genesis, God uses floodwaters to bring about a whole new creation, a new world, new life. So God doesn't mess around with waters. He brings about new creation, new life through the waters. And one of the things that baptism is a sign of is our new life in Christ. Look at verse 4 in the scripture that we just read. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of of the Father, we might live a new life. It's not like we have a new life. We do get a new life. Now here's, uh, you know, I think it's, I think that rising out of the water imagery is, you know, that kind of makes sense to us in this new life. You know, God promises new life. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 17, if anyone is in a Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We get this idea of new life. But it's interesting, when we look at verse 4, what brings about that new life? Um, I had you fill in in your note sheet, in order that. What brings about this new life is a death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that. And that word for in order that is the word that appears in the Bible um, to indicate the, the maximum connection between two events, the first one leading to the second one, this causal action. 
that leads to something else. It's just one of those strong words that when you read in the Bible, you're like, ah, God does this in order to bring about this. There's a death that happens in order for us to have this new life. There's this death that happens for the purpose of us receiving this new life. So in addition to baptism being a sign of our new life in Christ, second point, baptism is a sign of our death in Christ. And this is when it gets a little fuzzier to think through how we have died in Christ. Just as Christ died on the cross, the reality of when you become a Christian is that part of you dies as well. Look at verse 5. We have been united with him in a death like his. Something of you dies when you are a Christian, and hopefully we'll get to what is that that dies. Um, You can't think of it like this. Your sinful nature is put to death on the cross. Your sinful nature is that part of you that that was inclined to sin, that just desired sin, that maybe even, and and this may be part of your story, your life story. Uh, It could be that before you were a Christian, you had a period where, you know, you, you just wanted to live however you wanted to live, and by golly, just got great pleasure out of that, and who knows, maybe that was just living in ways that, you know, God would say, you know, that's not how I want you to live in. You embrace that. Sinful nature part of you that embraces that. Um, So let's talk about the sinful nature of ours being put to death on the cross. Um, I'm going to look at two ways that part of us dies, and baptism is a symbol of this. And the first way that I'm talking about is this. We have been set free from the power of, of sin. That's one way that we think through our death on the cross. Something has died. What is dying? The sinful nature. And, and how do we know that there's this death? Maybe that's a good way of thinking about it. Well, we know because we've been set free from the power of sin. Sin no longer has the kind of draw that it used to have on us. Sin appeals to our desires now, desire is not bad. Sometimes we think, ooh, desire, that's, that's bad, and, and we need to purge ourselves of desire. That, that's, that's wrong. Desire, the fact that we have desire, is, is not bad at all. Um, in fact, our desires, God can use our desires to bring us to him. We desire fulfillment. We desire something eternal, and God can use that desire that he has put in us to lead us to him. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and what will God do? He will give you the desires of your heart. God has given us the capacity for desire. It is not bad at all. But our desire is the target of our sinful nature. So let's let's take a, a really foundational desire, one that is um, it's pretty general, uh, Everyone has this desire. It's common throughout human beings. 
Um, but it leads to other specific desires. So the, the desire for esteem, the desire to, you know, to feel good about ourselves. And before you're a Christian, sin will take aim at that desire, that desire for esteem to feel good about yourself and say, oh, you want to feel good about yourself? Okay, well, let's talk about how we can make that happen. Well, you know, what you need to do is be a great performer at work. And if you do that, you'll know that you're great. Sin can take aim at that desire in you, and then off you go, right? Off you go. You start working a few more hours each week. Maybe bring that laptop home. And this is, by the way, true confessions of your pastor. I've brought my laptop home and worked in the evenings, you know. I think that is something that we do. Is it sinful? Eh, maybe not, but... If we start building habits on that so that we can feel like, ooh, we are an A-plus performer to feed this, this sense of esteem of ourselves, yeah, maybe we're falling into a ditch. So you, you bring your laptop home in the, in the evening and productivity goes up. You're making your way up the list of employees. Your company hires a few new employees in your area. But because you're wanting to be the top performer, well, maybe you don't see them as colleagues, but rather competitors. Will that affect how you relate to them? Absolutely, if you're thinking of them as competitors. Uh, maybe you are privately hoping that they will have a miserable experience <laughs> and not do too well. And along the way, uh, maybe you'll discover, um, you know, one tiny thing that you could withhold from them that would that would be beneficial to their experience as an employee and their productivity. But... You know, they don't absolutely need to know about it. You know about it, and why tell them? Why give them that helpful information? And, and on and on we go, and we kind of fall into this, this pattern of self-absorbed thought, um, behavior, and we're just listening to the sin saying, be the top, be the top performer. And on and on it goes. Um. You seeking to be top performer while becoming less helpful, less hospitable, less compassionate along the way. And you find out, wow, I'm being a, being a slave to sin. Sin can take aim at these fundamental desires, keep them at the forefront of our minds, and point out all kinds of kind of ungodly behaviors that will help us satisfy those desires. And, of course, we can do that in so many areas of life. It doesn't have to be our work life. It could be our relationship life where... Uh, maybe we fudge on some ethics to, to gain acceptance, to gain inclusion with our friends, maybe fall into sexual sin outside of marriage because we just want to be loved, we want to be accepted. We know this can happen in lots of ways, us listening to sin that is taking aim at one of these foundational desires. And then on and on and on we go as we listen to the voice of sin. Now, baptism is a sign that we are no longer controlled by sin like that. Sin has lost its power over us. Verse, says, verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So we're afraid from the power of sin. Well, how, how do we gain that freedom? This moves us to the second point I want to bring up. We have been set free from the product of sin. Or maybe the penalty of sin, if you like. 
and that is death. The product of sin is death. We read that in the scriptures. One of the the more familiar scriptures we read that is later on in this chapter, Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Genesis chapter 2, when God tells Adam, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You must not eat from that tree, God says, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God has, the way that God has designed our life, the way that God has designed the universe, the way that it is, is that when you sin against the perfectly holy, righteous creator of the universe, God gets to say what the payment required to make that wrong right is, and he says the payment required to make that wrong right is death. Death is what sin gets us. But what Romans 6, is, is six uh, chapter 6 says is we have been united with Jesus in his death. We all die. Part of us dies. Verse 10 and verse 11 says the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin. Count yourself dead. There's a death that takes place, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, that word for count there is, it's like a mathematical term. It's, it's, a, it's a calculation term. Um, it means to compute, to, to calculate, to sum up. You know, you're trying to teach your children about money and say your child comes to you and says that he wants, oh, I don't know, a Lego minifigure. Just trying to keep it real to my own life. My son Ryan likes to collect Lego minifigures. And when he was younger, he'd say, I want a Lego minifigure. Okay, well, if you want one, you have to pay for one with your own money. And so he goes to his room and comes back with a couple of dollar bills and a fistful of change, and here you go. And I know those Lego minifigures cost $3.99 at Target. And so then you compute, you calculate, you add up to see if what he gives you is enough. So Jesus died to sin, settling God's judgment. The cost of sin is death. And it would be an absolute tragedy, his death on the cross, except for one thing, and that is God had planned a resurrection. Jesus rose back to life. Now, what did that mean? That mean that sin and death had no hold on Jesus any longer. You know the stories of um, in the Gospels? We read them every once in a while, and, and, and Jesus will say some blasphemous thing. You know, he, he equates himself with God. He identifies himself with God the Father, and then the Jewish religious leaders, okay, well, let's go grab some stones, and we're going to stone you, or let's grab Jesus and we'll throw him off a cliff, or let's grab Jesus and arrest him. And, and the Bible story will finish like this. And Jesus, but Jesus slipped through their grasp and, you know, just went on his way. He just slipped through their grasp. That is what happened on the cross. Jesus slipped right through the grasp of sin and death. Sin and death tried to hold on to Jesus on the cross, 
but he just slipped right through their grasp. They had no hold on Jesus. Now let's get back to when it says, count yourselves dead to sin. In the same manner, verse 11 says, count yourself dead to sin. Consider that you have died. Just like Jesus on the cross. Consider that you have died. Only count the cost. You count the cost that Jesus paid. Is it enough to purchase you new life? Absolutely it's enough. Count that cost. And so what we see is that there's this great reversal that that takes place. I mean, part of us have died on the cross. The devil intended our sin to bring our death to God on the cross. But Jesus says, no, I'll pay that price. And there's this great reversal. And here it is, that we died on the cross, but only not to God. That was the devil's intent. For there's this reversal. God says, yes, you died on the cross, but instead of dying to me, you died to sin. In other words, sin has no hold on you, just like it has no hold on Jesus. It tries to grab a hold of you. It tries to tempt you. It tries to coerce you. Now you listen to me. You must do what I say. That's the voice of sin. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, you are freed from its grasp. And you can now say, no, no, I, I don't need to listen to your voice anymore. I can listen to another voice. I don't need to do what you say. I can listen to the voice of Jesus saying me, telling me something completely different. I can listen to Jesus' voice telling me that I am loved, I am secure, that he has my life in his hands, that Jesus has put his Holy Spirit in me, and now I can listen to the voice of his Spirit. I can rely on his Spirit. And don't you see, when we listen to Jesus' voice and say yes to him, instead of listening to sin's voice and saying yes to it, we are alive to God. We are alive in Christ Jesus. So baptism is this sign of of dying to sin and its hold and rising up to new life so that we can follow Jesus and have this new life in Christ. So let me say um, something that baptism isn't, kind of in response to this. I think it's important for us to at least consider this, what baptism isn't. It's not a sign that we are sinless, because we still sin. That sinful nature that loves to listen to God's voice, uh, to, to sin's voice, has died on the cross, but that doesn't mean that we won't sin again. Um, you know, we, we will have that selfish thought or action periodically we will have that contemptuous thought of someone else or action. The thought that says, you know, I'm, I'm better. I, I'm, I'm right. You're wrong. I, you know, I'm superior at this. Um, we will have that thought of that action at some time or another. We will fail to fully have faith in God at times. And the Bible says that anything that does not come from faith is sin. And so there will be actions that do not come out of a faith in God, um, which will be sin. 
It'll happen. It's going to happen. Some people believe that it is impossible to live a sinless, in sinless perfection after you become a Christian. I do not hold that view. Um, baptism isn't a sign that we are sinless. But we will sin less. Why? If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Pentecost Sunday, I have my tie. I don't wear ties too often. I wear my, my red tie because it's important for us to remember that we have the Holy Spirit in us as Christians giving us real power. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That's how the Apostle Paul started this, what is marked as chapter 6 of Romans. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, does God's grace give us this blank check where we can just keep on sinning as if we're laughing at God, saying, God, don't blame me for sinning. You're the one that came up with this grace arrangement. I'm just taking advantage of it. Is that the Christian life? And Paul says, of course it's not. Why? Because that way of life, that attitude towards God would be completely inconsistent with someone who has the Holy Spirit living in them. So don't forget you have the Holy Spirit living in you if you're a Christian and that you have power to fight against sin. So if you have a rebellious attitude, if you identify as a Christian, but if you have this just rebellious attitude that turns its back on God and says, ah, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to do my own thing. You have, you have to at least ask yourself, ah, oh, is, my, is my faith real if I have this rebellious attitude? You know, do I really love Christ? Jesus has died and was raised for us so that we could die to sin and have this new life. And we don't trivialize that new life. We worship God for that new life. And what comes next in this passage is that Paul, that the Apostle Paul gives us this great therefore, this response to the grace of God. Verse 13 says, it says, Therefore, Verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And so another thing that baptism is a sign of is this. Baptism is a sign that we present ourselves to God in response to God's grace. We were presenting ourselves to God. It's, it's a line-in-the-sand moment, baptism is. We're going to live for God. This means dedicating our entire self to living for God, not just parts of ourselves for living to God. Baptism, this line-in-the-sand moment, I'm going to live for God. There's a fun story for us Texans about Sam Houston. Sam Houston was baptized in 1854. 
And uh, he had claimed to have, have been a longtime believer leading up to his baptism. Um, but I think he would, he would admit to um, not taking it too seriously, his faith. Um, but in 1854, he had a line in the sand moment. And I'm going to live for God. And he was baptized. And the pastor who baptized him, he baptized him in a creek. That just sounds like a Texas thing to do, right? Get baptized in a creek. Um, suggested that Sam Houston take off his wristwatch. Might get ruined in the water. Okay, so he takes off the wristwatch. And also, you might want to take out your wallet because that will get ruined in the water. And Sam Houston said, you know what, preacher? I'm going to leave my wallet in because I think it needs to get baptized too. He left his wallet in when he was baptized. The result of that, or at least the result of that attitude, that I'm drawing the line in the sand, I'm living for God, every part of me not holding anything back, the result of that is he became very generous with his, his money um, in supporting the pastor who baptized him. I think he went off to pay half of his salary, this little country pastor, um, went on to support... Um, ministry studies at, at, Baylor, at Baylor University, um, Sam Houston did, in response to his baptism. So this morning, do you need a line in the sand moment? You say, God, I'm going to follow you fully. Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday, Celebration Sunday. Um, we will conclude our worship service baptizing people. If you've not been baptized, I urge you, I urge you to consider, if, if, you, if you want to follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, I urge you, let's baptize you next Sunday. On your connection card, you can fill in that little box. I'm interested in, in baptism, um, and you and I can talk this week. Um, if, if you've been baptized then as we baptize others next Sunday, you get to watch and you get to remember all these things that baptism means and be encouraged in your faith. Baptism is a way for us to respond to God's grace. This leads us to our last point, maybe the most important point of the sermon. Baptism is a sign of God's work, not ours. See, there's a danger if we make baptism all about our commitment to God. There's, there's a danger <laughs> that to us it only is about our commitment to God. And that really isn't it. It is true that Christianity, it, it's true that it's not a free-for-all. It's not a, hey, God's gracious, so I can do whatever I want to. Woo-hoo. No, Paul says, offer every part of you in service to God. So does that mean that Christianity is just kind of trading slave masters, taskmasters, that we were slaves to sin, now we just got to listen to someone else telling us what we got to do? No. Look at verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law. You're not obligated to the law. You're not under the authority of the law. You're not under the authority of sin anymore. But rather, you are... Under what? Grace. Now, what does it look like 
that we are under the authority of grace. We'll finish with this. There's a story about a young man, uh, and he was just a slave to sin. Uh, He was greedy, just wanted money. All he wanted to do was accumulate wealth and then just spend it. He was a partier. Wound up running away from life so that he could just live life to the fullest as he saw it. Um, And that was just kind of diving into the party scene fully. Um, He became a slave to sin (laughs) running after the party scene. He spent more and more and more and more of his money until it was all gone. Uh, Now it seems like a pretty... Yeah, reasonable story for, you know, people we may either know or know about. Oh, yeah, I knew a guy like that. Um, But here's the difference. This young man wasn't wasting his own hard-earned money. It was his father's. Uh, He had asked for his inheritance early in life. And after he had spent all of his inheritance, squandered it all, um, He thought, you know what, Um, I'll go back home. Not really looking forward to it. Um, I can work for my dad. I can serve him. I can show him that at least I'm not a complete mess up. And I will pay back what I lost. Um, Maybe miserable for, for a while in life, but, you know, I'll get through it. That's how it goes. What he didn't know is that his father was always looking for him to come home. And once his father saw him coming from a far distance, his father raced out to him. And before his son could offer up any of his services to his father, Father, I'll work for you. Before he could say a word about that, his father hugged him and kissed him and embraced him and said, my son has returned home, not as a servant, not as, a, not as a slave, but as a son, as my child. And he threw an enormous welcome home party to celebrate. My friends, that is what life is like, living under the authority of grace. <laughs> Baptism is not, first and foremost, our signal. I've decided I'm coming home. I'm fixing my life. I'm ready to get my act together and work hard. Baptism is first and foremost a sign that God was always watching for us and running after us. And he is the first one to offer grace. That's what we're saying yes to in baptism, living under loving Father and His grace reigning over your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this strange and wonderful gift of baptism. The, the, the sign of dying a real death taking place and the sign of a real new life taking place in our life. We pray that we would trust in your grace, that we would 
know it deeply. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that whenever we hear the voice of sin whispering us lies, trying to call out to the sinful nature that has been put to death on the cross through Jesus Christ, whenever we listen to that voice, we will shut it out and we will listen to your voice instead saying, trust me, follow me, I love you, and I give you my power to live this life under my grace, under my love, under my welcoming hospitality, under my provision, under my roof, under my love. So we thank you, Lord. We pray that you would give us strength, that you would um, encourage us for the road ahead, that you would build us up. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.